So we're kind of a content creator on our own social media platform, uh, which is pretty unique. Um, and, uh, you know, it really allows us to reach many more fans um, than we would otherwise. So the way I kind of see it is Cena Sports, you know, similar again to any other sports website, you're really targeting the hardcore sports fans, the guys who literally use us as a homepage every day and, and consume the content there on a daily or hourly basis. Um, but on social media, I can reach a lot more casual fans, right? The guys who may be interested, hooked in by one video or one piece of, you know, ca- uh, simple content. Um, so that that provides the much bigger base for me in terms of my user base. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you joining us again this week. On today's show, we're joined by Sam Lee, Head of International Business Development at Cena Sports, one of the largest sports digital media platforms in China. Cena Sports is the exclusive Chinese broadcast partner for over 90 sports properties, including the European Champions League, UFC, Wimbledon and PGA Tour. In conjunction with their sister company, Weibo, China's largest social media platform, Cena Sports also operates social media accounts with more than 100 million followers. In addition to that, they've also expanded into offline sporting events, including Asia's largest FIBA-certified three-on-three basketball tournament. Sam currently manages all international aspects of Cena Sports. Prior to that, he was a VP in the legal department at NBA China, so he's perfectly placed to discuss the Chinese sports ecosystem. You may have heard that last week the lockdown of Wuhan, the Chinese city where the COVID-19 novel coronavirus first emerged, was ended after 76 days. It's one of the many signs that life is beginning to return to normal in China, which obviously includes the resumption of sporting events. On today's show, Sam and I discuss what the current situation is in China with with respect to sporting events, uh, including plans for their own three-on-three basketball league, and then potential learnings for what the rest of the sporting world uh, can do on their road to recovery from the coronavirus. On a quick side note, you've probably seen our new logo and color palette appear across social media and on our website. Over the past few months, myself and the rest of the team have been busy developing new brand strategy and visual identity which truly captures the purpose and mission of the Sports Tech World Series. This mission is to be the trusted resource in helping companies, teams and individuals excel in this global sports technology community. We work with our community to bring people together through a global network of physical and digital events. And one of those digital activities you're obviously familiar with is this podcast, Sports Tech Feed. But if you haven't heard of our other work, then I highly recommend you go to sportstechworldseries.com to learn about who we are and, of course, how we can help. You can also check out sportstechfeed.com for more episodes, show notes, and contact info. If you'd like to reach out to me directly, that's thomas at sportstechworldseries.com, or you can always drop me a note on LinkedIn, uh, Thomas Alomes, A-L-O-M-E-S. So always sharing other articles and a few thoughts on the sports technology and sports digital industry. So send a friend request or, or whatever it is on LinkedIn and, um, or follow along. And uh, we'll probably put some of the articles that we do on our blog on sportstechworldseries.com as well. So that's another good place for some resources and industry learnings. Thanks again for joining us this week. Here's Sam Lee. Sam Lee, welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Thomas. Well, so you're currently calling in from New Zealand, is that correct? That's correct. I am uh, uh, usually based in China, in Beijing, uh, and uh, for my job, we seeing the sports. But currently at the in-laws New Zealand, I have been here for the last three months uh, since before Chinese New Year. So right after the vi- right before the virus hit, uh, got on a flight and then uh, was supposed to be here for two weeks and never went back. 
There you go. So, and right before the um, the virus hit China, which is is definitely going to be a large part of our conversation today, is um, obviously uh, kind of worst affected early on, and and now it's starting to see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and sports right. is resuming into the the kind of new normal in in air quotes over there. So, um, before we get all into that, tell me about um, your role at um, Cerner Sports, and also and and just. More generally, because I think it's a it's an organisation that a lot of our listeners might not be aware of unless they're working um, in China or with Chinese partners. Um, but it's definitely something they should be aware of. Sure. Um, so I am the head of uh, international business strategy for Cena Sports. Uh, Cena Sports actually sit under two separate companies. Uh, so we have Cena Corporation, uh, which is uh, over 20 years old. We're a NASDAQ listed company. Uh, started off as a portal uh, in the digital space. Uh, we set a lot of milestones. Uh, we were the first, uh, you know, a, a digital media platform to be uh, interviewing, you know, and to be reporting at World Cups, at the Olympics, um, at all of the sporting events. So it's got a very strong strong uh, sports genetics to it, uh, but we are a general uh, digital media site. You know, I would say, drawing analogy, I would say we're similar to Yahoo, um, having different channels within Yahoo. So there's the finance, there's uh, entertainment, there's news, obviously. Um, so our news app is one of the biggest in China as well. So a, a very much a digital media platform. Um, and then from there, about 10 years ago, we created Weibo, and Weibo is the largest uh, open source social media platform in China. We have over 500 million monthly active users, 200 million daily active users. Um, and that's, you know, started off as basically a lookalike of Twitter. Um, and uh, we've kind of emerged from that and, and evolved into more of a Facebook, you know, Instagram type uh, a, a social media platform where, you know, we're no longer restricted by the number of words uh, that, that people can put in the post. So if you look at our app, if you look at our website, it looks very much like Facebook and, and Instagram to a certain and that's, degree. So. And that's something at the start of this conversation is, um, I think, for our, our listeners, which are mainly from um, English-speaking companies from all over the world, though, um, just a shout-out to the person from Tajikistan, I can't even say it properly, who um, our data shows listing. So welcome, welcome that uh, listener. Uh, but... <laughs> In terms of understanding relating to China, so analogies are helpful, but at a certain point, a lot of them fall down. That's certainly my experience of, of traveling and, and doing business in China. Um, and something like that, for example, Weibo is is a social massive social media platform, kind of like Twitter, but it, it just doesn't, there's no like clean cut cookie, cookie cutter replacement for it um in right the, i mean because the you know the the ecosystem is a it's a complete parallel to the one in the west um but obviously there are you know different niches and different um characteristics of each of the major players mm. um so in china we have wechat which is you know used by pretty much everyone um and that you know people say well that's like a whatsapp well it's it's whatsapp on many levels of steroids yeah. uh, <laughs> that was, right? that was exactly the example i was going to use and just the 
way yeah. that people use it, and the way that people interact with it is just different. It's just very different. Yeah, I mean, we still yeah. see in the Western media that, you know, Weibo is reported as the Twitter-like service. And, you know, every time I see it, I just kind of shake my head because that's, I mean, that's from, you know, five, eight years ago. Um, and it, the, the, what we have now is, you know, very rich uh, content, very rich services um, that, you know, is very different than, than you will see on other platforms. So it's, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. The analogies only go so far, but, you know, it gives kind of a basis for people yeah. to understand, uh, you know, where we're coming from. So Cena Sports, uh, we kind of sit in between the two. Um, again, to draw analogy is if Yahoo and Facebook um, are, you know, owned by the same group, um, then you will see a lot more of Yahoo branded uh, content on, on the Facebook platform, right? I mean, I think that's only kind of the natural uh, uh, way and, and, and just because of the unique situation that we're in. So we are very much focused on the social media platform from the Cena Sports brand. So we actually own our own accounts uh, and we drive a lot of the conversation on that platform. So we're kind of a content creator on our own social media platform. Uh, which is pretty unique. Um, and, uh, you know, it really allows us to reach many more fans um, than we would otherwise. So the way I kind of see it is Cena Sports, you know, similar again to any other sports website, you're really targeting the hardcore sports fans, the guys who literally use us as a homepage every day and, and consume the content there on a daily or hourly basis. Um, but on social media, I can reach a lot more casual fans, right? The guys who may be interested, hooked in by one video or one piece of, you know, ca uh, simple content. Um, so that that provides the much bigger base for me in terms of my user base. Yeah, that's, um, so that's it's a, a really interesting point that the news is the, is the diehard fans and then the social media is the kind of ones that dip in and out. Um, and I absolutely. think that's, yeah, absolutely. that's been interesting because that's been reflected in, um, for instance, something like Instagram's uh, uh, sports center who um, got Omar who's doing the Instagram content. And like, especially during the coronavirus shutdown, they're running out of content. So I think I saw a puppy video on there the other day. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of right. that, but if you want the actual hardcore content, again, sorry, analogies, but in terms of where that sits, um, that's that's a really interesting point. Yeah, so we, we see it as kind of a pyramid where at the top you have the hardcore fans and that's more serviced by our Cena Sports website. And then on the bottom of the pyramid, the much bigger number is serviced by the social media platform, which has obviously has a large number of users anyway, and they're but they're still consuming content, but in a much different way. So we have these two uh, platforms which uh, you know have been producing a lot of uh, uh, followers and, 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 and viewership for us. Um, and then about five Five years ago, we kind of looked at the market, um, and back then, you know, five years ago, we were purchasing a lot of media rights, just as you, any um, sports platform would, right? So we had NBA, we had Champions League, we had um, all of the European football. Um, so obviously, basketball and soccer are the two main sports in China. Uh, so we had, you know, pretty much all of the the rights. Um, but you know, four or five years ago, the rights started escalating at you know multiple uh, multiples of the previous cycle. Um, so we decided that, hey, one thing we need to do is to get away from that because at that time, um, even though we were kind of the dominant player in that space, we were not making money. Um, and uh, like I mentioned, you know, Cena is a Nasdaq listed company, Weibo is a Nasdaq listed company. So from a public company perspective, from a P&L perspective, you really kind of have to be on your toes when there are escalating fees, right? You, don't, you have costs that cannot be met 
from the revenue perspective, um, and especially because in China, um, for the longest time, the habit of the fans have been to ha- have been that they will access a lot of this content for free. Um, so ever and 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 again, this kind of goes back into the history of it, where at the beginning of the the internet ages, and you know, as as you've heard in in certain countries, you kind of skip certain steps along the way, right? So in India, nobody had a PC because everybody skipped to the mobile phone. So in China, we kind of skipped the entire cable channel idea, right? So there was never really a subscription-based habit. Um, and as you know, we started, we kind of helped this habit because at the beginning, we were just giving away the content for free, um, mainly surviving on the advertising revenue stream. Is, is it also um, that in China, there's not the localized element of that, I guess, subscription kind of cable habit? I, I know that's something that in the US, for instance, is just a bit of a... Uh, I'm trying not to swear, but... Um, uh, SHIT show like it's just kind of in terms of localized and, and the media deals and stuff like that is is that just not there in China yeah because that that didn't exist right because that took place in the states over the last 20 30 years where you evolved and you kind of built this um, so in China that never existed uh, so basically then um, yeah so so basically that we kind of skipped that step and and so we we were just doing it based on advertising revenue which was great for a while when the rice fees are are low um, uh, and uh, and but as soon as it escalated, you know, we saw that it was very very difficult. Um, the existing uh, players now in that market are still struggling very much um, with gaining subscribers. You know, and and again, you know, using that going back to that sports fan pyramid, um, we just think that right now, you know, the the pyramid as a whole is just not large enough to sustain a subscription based business. Right, especially, so especially not now. Um, considering, well, you know, yeah, of course. It was, now it was it was a broken system before Corona, and Corona has just really pulled the rug out from under. And I think in China, it's it's probably even more severe, just because the sports fan base is uh, you know very much in a, a maturing situation. It's still very much growing, um, and it's not growing at the exponential rate that the um, uh, media rights fees. We're growing at, and that's kind of the main problem. Um, and so our solution to that was to try to find alternative ways of generating revenue. Um, and so therefore, we diversified into offline. And uh, so, uh, so our strategy was to leverage the large amount of uh, viewership, a large amount of traffic that we have from these two huge online platforms and to drive them towards our own events. Uh, so we now, uh, and so five years ago when we started this, um, our flagship product at that point was a three-on-three basketball tournament. Um, so in our first year of running it, we had, I think, eight cities in China. Uh, we didn't even have a name for it. Uh, it was just kind of the, the scene of basketball tournament, you know, and uh, our editors, you know, the guys who used to cover the NBA and the World Cup, they didn't even want to cover our own events because they're like, well, what's this little tournament that you're running? Uh, but now, you know, we, we stuck to it and, uh, you know, our strategy of driving the huge amount of online traffic really Really has worked, um, and so now we own the world's largest three-on-three basketball tournament. It's a FIBA-endorsed tournament. Uh, we were in 185 cities in China last year. We had over 200,000 participants last year, and we did you know seven, eight figures of U.S. dollars of sponsorship revenue, um, which is you know pretty fantastic for a basically an amateur. Uh, grassroots type tournament and, and what's um, the mix we, of those players that are participating in that is it mainly um, local chinese players is it kind of 
around the world. What yeah, so like? so it's again, uh, it's it's another pyramid. It's our own uh, three on three basketball pyramid where you know we really start at the grassroots level. So we go into very small cities in China. We try to find the best local players, and they, we give them a, a ladder system um, by which they can escalate and and they can continue to play on, uh, going into a you know in China's pr- uh, provinces, which is similar to the states uh, in, in in the states, and basically going into the pr- provincial finals, and then from there progressing to a national final and so as the level increases um the the nature of the players tends to the mix of the players tends to change so at the bottom we obviously have a lot of college kids we have a lot of grassroots players but as we continue to to go up i mean by the national stage um these guys are pretty well known in china so these are semi-pro players and one each team is allowed one foreigner uh, so we have some of the best FIBA players in the world coming to participate because because we're the largest because we generate the most sponsorship revenue. Uh, we have also have one of the largest prize money pools. So last year, um, the top three teams took home uh, over two hundred fifty thousand US dollars. Uh, so for three on three guys, I mean these are um, you know the, these these prize pools are I think almost as big or if not bigger than some of the FIBA. Um, prize money pools. So we attract quite a few of the top level players. Like for example, last year, I think we had four or five of the top 20 FIBA players uh, playing on different teams because you have one foreigner per team uh, during the national finals. Um, so the quality definitely gets higher the higher we yeah. go in that pyramid. Yeah, yeah fantastic. And is that, is that structure going to, I'm not sure if you can speak to this or not, but is that structure going to remain? Is it always going to be kind of one for, limit of one foreigner um, to maintain that interest in the local market? Or is there... Um, potential for yeah, because all stars I mean, USA team and all stars rest of the world team. Yeah, so that's that's a really good point. So um, you know, from our sponsorship perspective, um, all of our brands are very much interested in penetrating uh, the Chinese market. That yeah. means we need to do as many cities as possible. That means we need to have as much Chinese representation as possible, and therefore the rule for the one foreigner per team. Um, but you know, to, to kind of answer that demand that you're talking about, which we're seeing from the fans as well. Um, two years ago, we created an international tournament. Um, so basically, this is another tier at the top of the pyramid where we take the top teams from our national tournament um, and then we bring in a, 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 a large number of international teams. Uh, so for example, so now we've run this tournament for two years in a row. Uh, the first year, the, 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 the team that won was the number two ranked FIBA team at that point uh, from Serbia. Um, and then this past year, the team that won is a team from US. Um, and one of the, the players from that team was just called up to the US national team uh, to, be, to, to participate in the Olympic trials, which obviously didn't happen in March, uh, but was supposed to happen. Um, so through that international tournament, um, we're getting some of the best three-on-three basketball players in the world. I mean, I you know the first time I watched that, I was blown away just by the, the talent that was there. Um, these are not household names. We were hoping that by July they would be household names, but that will be postponed a year. Uh, for those of you that, that don't know, that three-on-three basketball is now uh, part of the Olympics and will be part of the Olympics in Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, for the first time ever. So, um, so yeah, so these guys, you know, they, they're the best at what they do. It's just that no one really knows about them yet. But if you, I mean, and, and, and the three on three game, you know, now having been so involved with it in the last three or four years, um, you know, I've really come to appreciate it. I've really come to see it as a entirely different sport um, than five on five basketball. It's well, not it's, just it's, five on five yeah. basketball. It's, a, uh, it's an exciting you know, format. Court. 
it's a really exciting it, format. And absolutely, I think for, you know, my yeah, it just feels a lot more yep. natural as a spectacle. Um, and I think for developing that um, personalities, the players as well, because it is only three on three, you can kind of really insert that a bit more. So I mean, that's and I think I'll, fans and I'll um, athletes and footage as well. So if, if yeah, um, from one of yeah. your tournaments, so people can I think fans and athletes are really relate to it in a different way as well because they look at five on five, they they realize these are you know professional uh, prof- uh, athletes, right? And uh, oh, and and by the way, I, I I used to work for the NBA, so I should know you know kind of the the setup there. Um, so you know it's but 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 when people look at three on three, you know everybody plays three on three. You know, if you go out to, to, you know, when you're six, seven years old, you go out to a basket, you shoot a hoop, there's a couple of kids that wants to play a game, you're playing half court. You're, you're basically playing three on three. So everybody can look at that and, and really, you know, find it relatable, but then also at the same time, appreciate, you know, the freak skills that these top players have, right? You're like, wow, I can't do that on the half court, <laughs> you know? Um, and another thing about three on three is that, you know, when you're comparing to the five on five, I, I think of it more as TV episodes. Um, versus a movie, right? You sit there for two hours, you watch a movie, um, and as we know, you know, sometimes it's a good movie and sometimes it's a bad movie, right? You could be watching a blowout for two hours and the result has already been decided, right? But for three on three, because it's a TV show, I mean, it's a 10 minute uh, game clock, which means it's about 20 minutes of actual gameplay. Um, every 20 minutes is a whole different cast, you know, a whole different set of plots and climax and buzzer beater and all that. So you can sit there for an hour and a half and you can watch five or six very, very exciting games, you know, and, and, and very different storylines. So that's, that's kind of was our big draw, uh, into that, into that. Um, and then, so in addition to the three on three, we also have a futsal tournament that's in over 50 cities in China. And then, uh, a couple of years ago, we started a alpine skiing contest, uh, with an eye towards the Beijing Olympics in 2022. Uh, so we've de- definitely generated a lot of interest there. We're partners with the International Ski Federation. Um, and this past season, this past skiing season, we were supposed to have been in 100 different ski resorts in China. But obviously with the virus, it kind of cut our season short there towards the end. Uh, but, uh, but you know, that's another one that generates a lot of interest from fans, generate a lot of interest from sponsors um, due to the, uh, the Winter Olympics that's coming up in China. So that's, so, that's so kind of our... So covered a lot of ground. So we've gone, we started as the, this, um, as you said, the kind of Facebook, Yahoo, Love Child, social media platform that's also producing its own content onto it and then going offline um, with basketball, futsal, and then going way out <laughs> left field right. with, with skiing. So um, just to bring it back to the point you made about the brands um, and partnering with brands, you said that these brands are trying to come in and, and really penetrate the Chinese market. Um, obviously, you're offering in the sense of both being the social media but also the kind of content creator. Um, is What are some of the brands that you're working with and that you typically see that are interested? And I guess um, I've got a follow-up question about that. But yeah, just some of those brands that it, that you're Yeah, um, so it's, it's, it's a mix of uh, foreign brands and Chinese brands. We've had uh, in the past, we've had McDonald's, we've had Lenovo, we've had uh, Samsung, we've had uh, uh, Pepsi. Uh, and then from a Chinese perspective on the apparel, we've had Anta and Peak. Um, so some of the Chinese apparel brands, uh, we've had uh, automobile uh, brands that are, you know, a mix of foreign and, and Chinese. Uh, we've had a, um, a Chinese um, scooter, an e-sport, an e-bike uh, company that was a FIFA sponsor. So then they became our futsal sponsor in that same year so that they could activate on their World Cup. 
uh, sponsorship. So there's a lot of different reasons that sponsors wants to come in. I mean, it's just like any other sport, you know, or really like, you know, sponsors are coming to us and we're pitching sponsors in terms of what we can provide to them, what type of activations we can give them. I mean, in our arsenal, where it's different than just any other sporting event is the fact that I have all of my online resources that I can couple into this sponsorship. So whenever we give a sponsorship package, you know, if, if it was the, you know, any other, any other sports league, you will be able to give them stuff like banners and on the ground activation and very much everything related to the event itself. Um, but in addition to that, you know, big, a large portion of what we give them in the package is online resources. Yeah. So that means on Weibo, you'll be able to see the branding in connection with our live broadcast. You'll be able to see the branding in connection with the, the coverage and all of that, which is something that, you know, a lot of other uh, sporting leagues would have to go and work with our, you know, digital media partners or broadcasting it's partners not as, in order um, to provide. It's not as consolidated in terms of you, you're working with one partner and, yeah, that's it's really interesting. So, I mean, talking to people looking to do business in China, and I don't think this is just true for sports, but for a lot of businesses, um, probably the word uh, scary, intimidating, it comes to mind. Um, I think a lot of people trying to look into seeing this huge opportunity in China, obviously an amazing emerging economy, um, you know, just just I can list off the kind of stats of, of its growth and, and that uh, burgeoning middle class that's, you know, sports is, it's, it's just prime. It's just kind of ready to be supercharged, right. um, all that kind of stuff. You mentioned the, um, right. the Winter Olympics coming back. What are some of the mistakes that you see brands, partners, um, and even sports leagues when they're looking to um, make the most of, of entering the Chinese market? Yeah, I mean, I think I think instead of the word difficult, I would use the word, you know, when you're trying to enter the market, I would use the word complicated. Yeah. Um, you know, in the sense that it's, you know, and I think any market is different, any market is difficult. Um, but I think China kind of adds a few extra layers uh, in terms of complications. So I think, um, you know, in terms of uh, mistakes, I mean, I, I, I think trying to go at it alone is probably a pretty big mistake. Um, it's really a place where you need uh, local support, local partners, uh, people who understand the landscape to help you navigate it. Um, you know, back in my uh, legal career, you know, when, uh, when, when I was doing intellectual property law, there's a lot of cases that happen in Texas. Right where you are, Thomas, and uh, in Texas, you know, you have you basically have to hire local counsel. Right, yeah. it's literally you know we would all be in suits, the guys from New York and LA, and then we will show up, and there will be a guy, he being the cowboy hat, being the boots. <laughs> And he will know the judge and he and the judge will go for drinks afterwards <laughs> yeah. and you will need him to literally translate uh, from English to English. Right. Yeah. And so I think China's like that to a certain extent yeah. where, you know, it's, it's not so it's, again, what I'm trying to say is it's not just a language issue. It's not yeah. the fact that you just need a translator. Right. It's really understanding how, you know, the, 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 the local um, government works, how, you know, the, 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 the business works there. So it's a lot of that um, that you really need someone to help you um, on the ground especially so you know we hear all these horror stories about people kind of taking off in the plane and then coming back and finding everybody everything to be different and it's true um, yeah. so really kind of being on the ground having uh, people you can trust either your own offices or having local partners there I mean I think that's probably the biggest thing yeah definitely uh, and I mean something I really want to get on to we did talk about at the beginning a little bit is is how China's recovering and, and things like that but 
kind of on your point about going to, to Texas and all that. Um, so can you just share a little bit about your story and how you kind of have ended up um, working for Cena now? Sure, no problem. Um, yeah, so I, uh, my parents are from Beijing and I grew up in the States. I grew up in California. Um, and, uh, you know, when people said, well, did you, did you know you wanted to do sports? And I said, yes. And uh, people said, did you know you wanted to be a lawyer? And I said, yes. Uh, so basically, I guess I fulfilled my dreams, quote unquote. I mean, I, I, when I was a kid, you know, I feel like my, my biggest hobbies were watching sports or reading John Grisham legal novels. I think you know, like reading and, contracts, and, reading, uh, no, reading, no, no. <laughs> reading Supreme Court judgments. Yeah, no, just, yeah. just, you know, a lot of, a lot of John Grisham, I remember. And, uh, and so that's that, that. So, you know, as, as I got older and started exploring career choices, I mean, I think, uh, um, uh, one of the things that I saw was a lot of um, senior execs in the sports industry and in the entertainment industry um, are attorneys. Um, and uh, obviously at that time didn't really understand why that is, but now I do. Um, and so I think when I applied to law school, um, that was very much in the back of my mind to say that, hey, look, I would love to be in sports and entertainment. I mean, I spent a lot of time in, in Los Angeles. Uh, so after law school, I, I went back to Los Angeles. And then um, and actually I, during law school, I did a couple of internships also with the Screen Actors Guild, uh, which is the labor union for the actors and actresses. Um, and then also I was with a music video production company. They did the first music video for Nirvana, They're the biggest ones around. And so it was, you know, really fun, glitzy work. I did, uh, you know, I worked on uh, copyright infringement for a Britney Spears video uh i went it's to the, all the movie premieres the California dream. It's the exactly West Coast it was, you know, dream so yeah so i was so i was really kind of cruising down into sunset that. boulevard you know palm trees sitting <laughs> by yeah um but you know as we all know i mean the sports industry and entertainment industry they're they're pretty small it's, it's pretty small circles so it's difficult to get into um and i didn't really know you know kind of how to get into it um, and, uh, and, and, and my big break, quote unquote, um, actually came in a position that I didn't take. Uh, and how that worked out was I had a uh, friend that introduced me to a, uh, a law firm that in Beijing, and there was a law firm partner there that was that outside counsel for the U.S. Olympic Committee. Um, and so it was right before the 2008 Olympics in China. And I said, well, that would be a fantastic thing to, to work on in order to get myself in, in the door, right, into the sports industry. Uh, so I went out to Beijing to, to interview um, and ended up not taking that job and ended up in, uh, with a different law firm. Uh, but, you know, a few years down the road, uh, as luck will have it, that that part Partner that I didn't work with because of his sports experience ended up as um, general counsel at NBA China, um, and uh, I was headhunted to to go there. And I asked my headhunter who was the uh, the boss or my boss, and uh, and she said, you know, this this partner. And I said, wow, then that's great. So when I went in for my interview, I didn't have to convince him at all that I wanted to be in the sports industry. That I wanted to. He finally do that. got his man after all those yeah. years. So. <laughs> So, uh, so, so that was, I guess, my, my, my big break uh, to get into the industry. And it was, you know, phenomenal. I had a fantastic experience at NBA. Uh, you know, it's really a kind of a breeding place for attorneys. And it's a really, really good place uh, for attorneys to kind of get in uh, and learn about not only the legal side, but the, the business side. I mean, I think the way that uh, NBA treats its uh, lawyers uh, is phenomenal in terms of the training, in terms of the, you know, uh, the interaction that you have 
have with the business team. So uh, really learned a lot there. You know, obviously got to meet David Stern and and Adam Silver, and so that was a a, a pretty big dream. You know, if I could tell my fifteen year old me, uh, he'd be pretty impressed. I think. Um, so I mean, uh, and to jump in there, so I mean that that's a great journey then, and across the scene of sports, and I, and I, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to skip out on that too much, but I really want to kind of use that as a scene setting to your bona fides, to use a, a legal term. I don't know, people say bona fides. We always said bona fides <laughs> when I studied law, so it makes you sound f- smarter. You just say some random stuff in Latin. But uh, that you understand the sports industry in the US and, and kind of and something like an NBA that is, that is a global organization, um, really a global movement, um, and then how that applies to China. And, and so... Using that as a jumping off point, China's obviously coming out of the coronavirus, is starting to recover. It's one of the earliest places hit, as I mentioned in the beginning. It's starting to kind of come on that uptick um, and life is returning to normal or is entering a new normal, whichever way you want to look at it. Uh, Where does it look like for sports in China at the moment? Yeah, I mean... um you know, I think I think the government there is taking a very cautious approach uh, to getting back to normal, um, and and I think that will be the case in the West as well. Where um, you know, when, when we talk about you know now the curve and flattening the curve, I think people kind of imagine something that goes up and comes back down at the same rate. Uh, but really, that's I don't think that's the case, and and that's definitely not the case in China. It's it's more likely where you do have a very high spike, and you can flatten it if you if you want to. Uh, but you're gonna have a very long tail. So what that means is all of the restrictions that's happening in the West right now in terms of lockdowns um, is uh, sorry to break the unfortunate news, everyone. It's not going to end as soon as it started. Meaning that sure it may be flattening, but it's it it will drop um, slower than 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 it uh, than it rose. Um, so that's that's really kind of you know the the situation in China right now, where even though at this point you know three months almost after the fact, um, you know after the 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 start of the crisis. Um, you're finally getting back to normal, meaning that even though, you know, I think probably a month ago, um, the infection rate was way down already, you know, every day is, is coming down. Um, but, you know, you can't let up at that point, right? So it's really kind of choosing when to let things go back to normal. And the, the government has taken a very uh, cautious and, and I think correct approach um, in that finally now, I mean, just this week, uh, our office is back. Um, you know, to 100%. Um, they were in about 30, 40% rotation uh, for close to a month, you know, and, uh, and, and, and so finally things are somewhat back to normal, but still even now, I mean, restaurants, you're not really supposed to eat with anyone. You're not, you're supposed to still sit, you know, six feet or a meter away from everybody. Um, and uh, at this point, there are still no large uh, scale events that are allowed to be held. Um, and, uh, of course, you know, we're obviously concerned about our event, which, um, usually starts in March of every year and runs to October, um, and literally every couple of weeks. And, and this is just kind of us, you know, on paper without any sort of, uh, without much feedback from, from the government or from other, uh, organizations, but just us updating our own timetable every couple of weeks, right. And, and kind of pushing things back and looking at what's going to happen. Um, so as of now, we are looking at it 
a early June start. Um, the last uh, piece of uh, the last two pieces of notification coming out of the government. The first one was to say no large scale events before uh, end of April. Um, and CBA uh, was talking about possibly resuming by middle of April, um, but I think that was probably shut down at some point. Uh, so they are also looking at probably a May, uh, a May to June start date, uh, but no one really knows, you know. And then, uh, like I said, the last piece of uh, notification that came out was that in the it, the quote unquote uh, was in the in the short term or or something like that, a, a very vague. Uh, you know, uh, uh, without putting a, a, a date on it, the government said, you know, in the short term, large scale uh, sporting events are still not allowed. So if we're going, um, so if we're going worst case scenario, many more months. Um, if we're going best best case scenario, kind of looking June July maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, be... I, I, I think some some in China are aiming some some organizations are aiming for a May to June date. Uh, and the CBA, for example, and then the reason is that otherwise, if you go later, then you're running into next season, right? So for every for every sporting event, for every organization, it's going to be different, right? So how aggressive you take it, you know, the environment that you're in, but also the the year, the calendar that you're in is is going to um, uh, uh, determine a lot of what you do, and, right? and how and you're coming you, back you, as well, I guess, if you're coming back with with no fans. Like I don't think anyone's saying that they're, right. they're going to launch I mean. like full blown. Stadiums filled, um, right? And you know, right. CBA, that basketball, for instance, would follow similar suit to the um, yeah. So for you know, for MLB, for example, for for baseball, because you're you can run it until October or November, right? The World Series. So they're gonna they know they're gonna do a shortened season. So in a sense, they're not as hurried as the NBA. Uh, because you know th- their calendar sort of has just started. Whereas for the NBA, I mean, you can't run into November because that's next season. Right. So the circumstances kind of dictate that in terms of, you know, when you're going to start and, and what you're going to do. So I think for the Chinese uh, soccer league, which usually is super league, which usually starts in March and runs till it runs the calendar year. So similar to MLS. Uh, so they're going to have a shortened season. So um, they're not as worried as CBA. Right. So CBA needs to finish uh, before, you know, the summer and the draft and all of those things. Uh, so they're, you know, they're trying to start earlier if possible. So yeah. that's kind of the, the scenario at this point so looking at that i mean in the u.s the the kind of predictions are pushing it out further and further and further i know there's um there's been uh political pressure to get it run sooner but really um kind of what most of the the noises coming out of the leagues is saying we'll start when we're good and ready they're obviously very keen to get that back um mm-hmm. and doing things like the nba proposed doing a horse tournament um to kind right. of keep going right. i mean the ufc is gonna rent a private island and Kind of have everyone like fights every week. It's kind of mental, um, but you know if that works, good on them. Um, I, I the, watch that. I think. Yeah, I mean <laughs> uh, everyone would. You could tack in a reality TV show onto it, Survivor, exactly. but it's literally Survivor where they're just exactly they're beating exactly. each other. But it, it seems like there's a bit of a um, kind of I don't know arms race on in terms of who can get the content there. We were talking off camera about the Belarusian soccer that's still running in the face of COVID because the prime minister or president doesn't think it's real and you can cure it with vodka but anyway so they're running through so you have these people that have never watched belarusian soccer in their life and have no reason to um and especially driven a lot by the betting markets because people are looking for things to bet on um so is there an opportunity there for china to step up basically um and provide content for the west 
because considering it's traditionally been a very one-way um, flow of content in terms of you know NBA streamed into China um, and you know Western brands coming and trying to penetrate into China is this now a chance for China to go the other way and go hey we've actually got professional sports um, back sooner um, no more puppy videos on Sports Center. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there are a few d- different angles of looking at it. I mean, I think one big one is in terms of risk assessment, right? I mean, every organization I think has to kind of balance the 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 pros and cons. Um, you know, you were mentioning some of the league, you know, thinking about coming back and in in diff- under different circumstances. Uh, I think we you know we all saw that the the Japanese basketball league tried to come back. Uh, a couple months ago, and they were shut down almost immediately uh, because there was a—I think there was an infection with one of the staff members or something. So, um, you know, you really kind of have to make sure that you are doing the right thing first and foremost. So, from our perspective, uh, you know, we're being pretty rational and 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 not jumping into this to say, "Hey, look, you know, we want the whole world to be watching our brand of basketball." I mean, of of course, we want that. Right. But at the same time, you know, you really kind of have to, to take a cautious approach and also a realistic approach to say, well, sorry to use Belarus as an example. But, you know, sure, people might have bet on it in the short term and have paid you know, some attention to it in the short term. But long term, what does that what does that mean? Is it yeah. is it going to be valuable long term? Is it significant long term? And I think the answer is no. Um, so from our perspective, I mean, we want to do it the right way, but, you know, of course we want to be able to capitalize it on it if the opportunity is there and if it is the right opportunity. Yeah. And there's the, there's the chance you shoot yourself in the foot if you come back too early and then say there is another outbreak of infection or you can't come back with the product that you want. Um, and that might be a consideration for for leagues, because certainly no stands in the no um, fans in the stands is it was just bizarre. I don't know, there's someone watching right. that, and Australian rules football right. did the same thing. It was a very soulless product. Might be one of those things. Waiting another couple of weeks, um, right. you come back with a stronger product, and in the end, better fan engagement, as you said, going on. And I totally agree. I don't think anyone's going in there buying lifetime memberships for Belarusian soccer teams. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, talking about, talking about that, um, kind of just to wrap all that up, thank you so much for your time. Some really interesting insights there. Uh, final question that we always leave with our guests, what's your favorite sporting moment of all time? Oh, um, <laughs> mine's going to be very uh, local and uh, very, very specific. Uh, so I, I grew up in the Bay Area. I've been, uh, I'm actually a really big baseball fan. Uh, and so my team is the Oakland A's. And then, so I grew up watching... Uh, you know, during the uh, the eight, late 80s when they were a really good team. Um, and obviously with um, in the early 2000s with Billy Bean being the general manager and kind of bringing in sabermetrics and bringing in data uh, into the sports world. Um, and obviously the book Moneyball and, Bill, and and Brad Pitt. And so that was the that's probably the claim to fame that people will know what I'm talking about. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the ace in that book and, and in, in real life in 2002, I think. Um, had the uh, American League record of 20 consecutive uh, wins. Uh, so during those wins, I just happened to be back home during a uh, uh, summer break. So during those 20 game wins, win streak, I went to, I think, seven or eight of the games. Uh, several very exciting uh, game winners, uh, including Game 20. So that was the climax in the movie where uh, the A's were leading 11 nothing, and then the Royals came back 
to tie it, uh, which 11 runs is a lot in baseball, and they tied it 11-11, and then there was a walk-off home run to win it for the A's and to break the record. So uh, that's probably my the, the biggest moment. I just actually, I just watched the, uh, a replay of it on Facebook, on the A's channel uh, a couple weeks ago when they when they redid it. So well, um, it's always, so it's, it's kind of good sometimes when you don't have live TV, you can go back and watch these moments. Uh, yeah, no, I know what you mean. I've been watching, I'm a diehard fan of the West Coast Eagles football club and the Australian, um, Australian Football League, and I've been watching games a lot of games just going right back so also if if anyone from the club's listening you need to put more vintage games on i watched some game from 1994 on it was like 240 pixels it was like watching a couple of it was filmed with a toaster but um i know what you mean about vintage games back there so actually to to give a shout out to a to a startup I'm advising, um, so they're they're doing uh, on screen interaction and trivia and quizzes and all of these things, and they are uh, doing a thing with FIFA. So FIFA is pushing out the classic games uh, series for all the World Cups. So I think all of them will be in uh, high def and and, and redone. Uh, and uh, so so the, the the technology will be a part of that. So look out for that. I think that's coming probably in the next couple months or so. Yep. Can you mention the startup? Uh, yeah, so uh, they're called Buff. It's based out of London. Cool. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, well, thanks for that. I'll include a, a link. I might, um, just because I'm a sucker for that film, I might include the final scene that has that. I'll include the actual footage, um, but um, I'll also include the one so you can see Brad Pitt's kind of um, fantastic acting as, as Billy Yeah, Green, so. absolutely. Well, that's... That's uh, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for your time, Sam. That was a really interesting chat. Um, I'll include those links in the show notes um, and kind of your LinkedIn as well if anyone wants to um, reach out to you. I know you do some work helping out startups and, and startup accelerators, so can definitely get in touch with you if there's any opportunities there. And thanks again for your time. Perfect. Thanks so much, Thomas. Great chat. And there you have it. That was Sam Lee from Cena Sports. Really enjoyed that chat. Uh, some very interesting stuff about uh, how China is, is going through this and kind of coming out the other side and, and what that can mean for the rest of the world. I really liked uh, Sam talking about the pyramid of fans, uh, talking about the uh, news providing uh, the kind of top of the pyramid, the hardcore fans, and then social media is the broader base and the, and the casual fans. And certainly something's been reflected in um, how the... Hardcore news sites are, are suffering a, a fair amount with uh, viewers' eyeballs going out elsewhere. Uh, so it would be interesting to see how that uh, slide is arrested, hopefully, um, and then reversed once live sports can resume, which is the million-billion-dollar question. And certainly no one's, no one's giving a firm date for anything, and it's an evolving situation. But I think um, looking at other places, such as China, definitely provide clues and learnings to to how that can best be done. As I mentioned, sportstechfeed.com for show notes. Um, we have other episodes on there. You can also look at speaker bios, things like that. Connect with them on LinkedIn. And I mean, in this episode, obviously, uh, some footage from Moneyball. Until next week, I've been your host, Thomas Loams. Thanks for joining us. 